So, I'm not sure how I got up here, but uh, I think it was a proximity issue, really. I was closest to Abuna when he heard that he needed someone to speak, and he said, Would you like to speak? And that's all. So, here we are. Uh, okay, so we've obviously heard this so many times, and, and obviously a big theme uh, during, or we've heard this uh, gospel reading many times, and obviously the theme during this is uh, the resurrection. Um, and I want to meditate on a couple of things regarding the resurrection. Um, first, principally, is, is the question of what, what is the point of the, of the resurrection? What problem does the resurrection solve for us? Because there's a, a particular problem that the resurrection actually speaks to. That's why St. Paul says that without the resurrection, we are the most pitiable of people. That Christianity is completely pointless, and that we're all just doing nothing. So the resurrection is, without it, the principal problem is not solved. Um, and so, uh, I'll just read uh, very quickly, um, or I'll go into that particular problem. Um, but it's really a reflection of these questions that are asked to Christ during this gospel. Um, over and over again, Christ is, is asked a question like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? He's asked a similar kind of question. Even before he even goes to Lazarus, he's asked by his disciples, are you sure you want to go back to Jerusalem? You might die. They want to kill you. And so the principal problem that the resurrection solves is reflected in these questions. Because the principal problem is the fear of death. Um, and here's what St. Paul says in Hebrews 2. He says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through who, those through those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he's saying that fear of death actually enslaves us. That because of fear of death we are all in bondage. And without it, we can't actually live a real resurrected life because we're still afraid of death. Um, and I know there's been lots of meditations on the obvious, you know, we're all afraid of dying, like that moment, and you don't know what's coming, and you're going to die. Um, and we've heard a lot about that, and I think that that's important, and that's definitely part of it. But there's a harder point here, or a harder problem to solve, which is that our whole life, there's, there's types of death and types of life. And this is reflected in the Gospels all the time. When Jesus says, you must be born of the Spirit. And the Pharisee asks him, what do you mean? I can't be born again. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I can't go back into my mother's womb, be born again. So obviously Jesus is saying that there are different types of life. Right? He says, put off the old man. Kill the old man. So that there are other types of death. Right? This fear of death, I think, is the one that we struggle with more. Is the fear of the death of the old man. That fear of death is the really, really difficult issue that we face on a daily basis. Because we're so attached to the old things, to this life, to this world, to the old man. St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, it's no longer I who am living. I have died with Christ. I have been crucified with him. It is Christ who lives in me. But that process is such a painful and difficult and ongoing process, right? To actually put to death the old man, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and say, okay, I put off the old man, he's dead, I'm going to live with Christ, and it's done. That's like an ongoing process that we go through all the time in our daily life. Um, so there's a part that I thought was interesting. So in this gospel, Jesus continues to tell them, I am the resurrection and the life. If you wait, you will see the glory of God. Uh, he walks to the tomb, and then again he gives them an instruction. He says, it says, Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who, had, who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus says to her again, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I think that question, take away the stone, roll the stone away from the tomb, oftentimes we're confronted with that kind of a question, where Christ asks something of us. He says, make a sacrifice for me, trust in me. Put your trust in me in this situation where you want to put your trust in yourself. Don't put your trust in your logic or your reason. Oh, there's a stench. It's going to be gross if we open the tomb. It's not going to work. This isn't going to happen this way. He says, he poses a question. And he says, if you trust in me, you will see the glory of God. But we struggle with that, those types of questions, and we're confronted with them all the time. And I think that that's an important point to make, is that in this process, we will be confronted with these types of questions. And we have to learn to really put our trust in God and die to what we think is right and what we want and our own ego and our own thought process and allow Christ to work in our lives. Uh, and, and this is how we slowly and slowly but surely confront that problem of putting off the old man. It's through a trust in God. But when that happens, and if we really want to get into that process, we have to attune ourselves to those type of questions. And what I mean by that is we have to learn how to listen. Because oftentimes I think we act of our own accord, through our own desires, because we don't even realize that Christ is asking something of us. And the life of the resurrection is a resurrected life in which we encounter a person. The resurrection is not a thing. Uh, Father Stephen Freeman says this. He says, the resurrection is more than a fact. It is a person. And as a person, it may be known and existentially encountered. He says that we can actually encounter the person of the resurrection in our daily waking life. That our daily waking life would be an encounter with the resurrection and the person of the resurrection. 
And when we start to live that kind of life, where we open ourselves up, where we are prayerful, where we pray unceasingly, we have God before our eyes, we will hear the questions that he's asking of us. And then we can start to learn to put off the old man. And that's really what he's trying to show with this resurrection. Live a new life. Be awake to my presence. Right? So, and that's what he says to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the first step, the first question. You actually believe that. That when you encounter the resurrection and in the resurrected Christ, that you are living a new life. That you don't have to that you don't have to cling to all of your thoughts and everything that you think is right and everything that you want and all of your, not everything you want, but all of your egotistical thoughts, right? So, another interesting point that I think is at the beginning of this gospel reading. When he's telling his disciples where he wants to go, he says, these things he said, uh, and after he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. He doesn't say Lazarus is dead. He says, my friend Lazarus sleeps, and I go that I may wake him up. And they were confused, so he kind of clarifies for them, but I think that that's the fact that he starts there is really telling because what he's saying is the resurrection is a process of awakening. Right? In which we become awake to the presence of God. In which we become awake to the living life of God. In our hearts and in our lives. And in everybody around us. And that's why he asks, you know, or that's why he says, he's asleep, I'm going to go wake him up. a little bit now about um, how we can live this life. And I'll just give an introduction from two, I'll use two um, writings, one from St. Isaac the Syrian and one from a contemplative author named James Finley. Uh, The one from St. Isaac, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but they're making particular points. Um, In this homily by St. Isaac the Syrian, he talks about how the nature of the soul, when it isn't um, pressed down upon by all of our cares and all of our desires and all of our self-concern, is holy. That deep down within us is the fullness of heaven. And that once we start to care away the old man, It's not like then Christ gives us some sort of gifts of grace and virtue and whatever. No, he says, actually, when you put off the old man and you take away the passions and you take away your self-concern, it's not like you're given something. It's actually what's already within you becomes manifest. Right? So those virtues and that holiness already exists inside of your heart. And so that is what's manifest when you put off the old man. That is the process of the resurrection. That you, that within you, you gain new life. 
and that you will live. That's the promise of the resurrection. And we do that through the process, um, and there's many ways to do it. Obviously, we know the process of, of striving for holiness, prayer, the sacraments, and all of that. But I want to reflect on this idea of attention. Because, like I said, without attention, we can't hear the questions that Christ is asking. And we have a problem with attention. There's a story with Baba Krolos, uh, it was it's a story that I really like, where he was actually, when he was young, he prayed a lot for purity of heart. And so he would start his day every day praying for purity of heart. He said, God, please give me a pure heart. He would say that prayer and then he would go about his day. And then he found in the middle of the day or at any time during the day, he would lose his purity of heart. And he goes at night and he says, God, I prayed to you in the morning to give me purity of heart. Why didn't I get purity of heart? And he would repeat that process over and over again. And then he realized, unless I actually am praying and encountering God and keeping that prayer alive in my heart throughout the day, I will not gain purity of heart. Because I'm not attentive to that desire that I that I want. I have a desire, but I have no attention to follow it through. I have no consistency. So he learned to ask for purity of heart throughout the day. And then that it would be granted to him. There was that process of constant to being attentive to the to the desire to be in, in communion with God. And through that, he gained, we can assume, purity of heart. Um, and so I'm going to just introduce this book um, it's a really powerful book it's called Thomas Merton's uh, Path to the Palace of Nowhere um, just to give a little bit of background it's about it's by an author named James Finley and he talks about how to live a contemplative life as a lay person so not as a monk or monastic but just as a person going about your work life and with your kids and all that how do we live a contemplative lifestyle where we become attentive um, to the presence of God and what does that look like? And so I'll just read this one quote and then I will finish. He says, Life is such that from time to time an extraordinary thing happens. We are going along, ruminating over this and that, when in something as simple as turning to see a flock of birds descending, or in something as simple as watching children at play, or in something as intimate as knowing love in our own hearts, we are interiorly quickened. We are interiorly awakened to a deep, visceral realization that this is holy, that this is real, that this is precious, that this is the way that every moment deep down really is. These are the moments that disclose to us the inherent holiness of life itself, the already perfect holy nature of the present moment just the way that it is. What it would only be like if we could walk around this aware all the time of what our life always is. That is what it would mean to walk into a room and instantly become aware of the inherent holiness of everything that's there. And to the inherent holy and to inherently reverence it, honor it, and be faithful to it.
And I think that idea that he pauses at the end is what it would look like to be a resurrected person. To be aware at all times of the holiness of every moment. And through this process of prayer and take, putting off the old man and living and attentively being aware of God's presence, we can start to live this type of lifestyle. I'll just end with um, one verse that we heard today in Philippians. He said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Put on the mind of Christ. Let that mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And so I think that that's really what it could mean to live